Labor of Love, a podcast about marriage, family, and making peace with the people we live with. I'm Lori Leibovich, editor of RealSimple.com. The February issue of Real Simple has a great piece called Five Relationship Mantras That Are Actually Baloney. A range of experts and thinkers provided the mantras, from a cookbook author to a movie producer to the two amazing women who are joining me today. Here to talk about those mantras, as well as some that aren't so baloney, is Diane Rehm, host of The Diane Rehm Show on WAMU, and the author of On My Own, a new memoir about her more than 50-year marriage and the loss of her husband. Also joining me is Amy Banks, a psychiatrist at the Jean Baker Miller Training Institute at Wellesley College and the author of Four Ways to Click, Rewire Your Brain for Stronger, More Rewarding Relationships. Hi, Diane. Hi. And hi, Amy. Hi. Thanks for having me. Diane, I'd like to start with your mantra, which I thought was really, really important. We have always heard this expression that love conquers all. You, though, say that that's baloney, that that's one of the mantras that we should get rid of when it comes to love. Can you talk a little bit about why? Well, I think that when two people are sexually drawn to each other, falling in love is the easy part. I think that what's difficult is keeping that love going and making sure that there is more than love, that there is mutual respect that there is caring, that there is helpfulness, that there is goodwill. But if you're just going on love and depending just on love, it's not enough because marriage and love are hard work. And I have to ask, Diane, as someone who was married for more than 50 years, when you talk about what that work is, can you be a little, could you be more specific when what you mean by that? Well, first and foremost, learning how to listen. I think when we get married, we're in this haze of adoration for the other. And in this cloud of emotional excitement. But when you get down to living with somebody, you find that you need a partner. You need someone who will be supportive of you and someone who you will support. And part of that work is learning to listen to the other and not simply listening to what's going on inside you. That's part of the work, and it's a major part of the work. The other aspect of that is realizing that what comes from your heart is not always at the very same moment reciprocated from your spouse's heart. It may take time to work that out. There are so many issues in marriage. There's sex. There's money. There's food. There's religion. 
there are all kinds of issues, including how you treat your children. Well, children were the first thing I, that came to mind when you talked about work. <laughs> I think that <laughs> in that haze that you mentioned, Diane, of the, of the blush of first love, when usually people are falling in love without children in the picture, maybe just a figment in, in their imaginations for the future. But then some real different kind of work has to start happening once children come along, if they come along. You bet. (laughs) Amy, the mantra that you say is baloney was the, what we often hear, which is that everyone needs boundaries. Why do you think that that's something that we should toss when it comes to our relationships? Well, this is meant to be slightly provocative. Okay. So the first thing that I want to say is to not be, uh, you know, absolutely a perfectionist at not having boundaries. What I'm aiming at here is that we have this notion in a culture, and this is really a take two steps steps back from your relationship, from your intimate relationship, and, and think about the culture in which it's embedded. And the culture in which relationships are embedded in our country is one that actually devalues relationships. And one of the messages that we get consistently as we're growing up is to stand on your own two feet, right? And so part of that standing on their own two feet is this notion that we somehow have these boundaries between us and the other person. And the stronger our boundaries are and the less impact the other person has on us, the more we're able to be, you know, kind of strong and independent within the relationship. And so what I'm getting at with this uh, notion is the idea that, in fact, and, and it's supported by neuroscience, is that, you know, we are engaged in relationship and the other person is coming inside of us all the time, right? There isn't this sort of, you know, wall up between us, uh, you know, us and the other person. And so when you stop thinking about boundaries as these sort of, you know, kind of lines in the sand or what have you, then you have to start thinking about the interface between two people. And at that interface, it's just what Diane is saying, that's where the hard work of relationship actually exists. Right? Because the truth is, if we could just put, you know, push the button like we do on our car, put up the window or the thing and set a boundary, it actually would be easier. And, it's, and I think it's a, uh, a delusion to think that we can do that, right? And so what I'm trying to get people to think about is not the boundaries, but actually at that interface. What do you need? What does the other person need? And in fact, what does the relationship need? And so really almost thinking about it as three entities, right? Mm-hmm. That you're always navigating around and that's you know and the give and take the give and take constantly across that space that you know that uh, space between two people i think that is such a good point amy my therapist for all my years with her used to talk about one individual a second individual and the marriage. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a triangle. Yes. And if those boundaries are not clear, if I don't think of myself as a whole person within that triangle, then I'm going to simply give in to what is the marriage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. rather than bringing myself as a whole person and regarding myself in that relationship 
as equally as important as the other person. And I must say, I think that that's where I found my own weakness along the way. Yeah, and I think, you know, and I think that's probably a very typical story for a lot of women, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and I think the, the relationship advice has been you need to get your boundaries. And again, what I would say, I just wouldn't frame it that way. Because what I, what, what I would say is you need to work with your partner on developing a healthy relationship. Yep. Across that space in between you, where, where relationship lives, and in that, as you work on the actual skills of relationship, which we can talk about, as that happens, you actually get more clarity about yourself, right? So you frame it as, you know, being able to maybe bring my whole self into the relationship. And I would say that comes, you know, in this notion of, you know, standing on your own two feet, it's easy to get confused about that boundaries are about, you know, setting a limit, you know, putting that, again, putting that window up and not letting someone in, but rather the really developing and working hard on a healthy relationship and finding somebody who can engage in that process with you. And as that process is happening, both of you get clearer and clearer about yourselves and actually more differentiated. So it's not like a big blurry mess, you know, it's that there's me, there's him or her, and there's the relationship. Right. Right. And, and we can attend to all of those. And we need to attend to all of those. But I would I guess, though, that if you are in a partnership or a relationship where you're not, a, you're not able or your partner isn't able to attend to it, then that's not going to be an easy situation to rectify or you're going to be in an unhappy marriage. That's right. Well, what you're going to have to do if that is the situation, if one partner is willing to or wanting to grow and to improve not only the relationship but him or herself, that individual may have to have some clarity through therapy. So one of the other mantras that was put forward in this article, which is related to this, wasn't put forward by one of you, but one of our other contributors was this notion that we should always put our partner first. And she argues that part of what made it possible for her to be in a successful relationship was actually putting herself first and getting her health in order, getting her struggles with various things in order before she could really come to a partnership in any kind of meaningful way. Um, I think that's an important piece, too, is what happens before you decide to partner. There's a lot of probably work that can be done beforehand as well. There can be a lot of work done beforehand. And, you know, again, I'm going to just, uh, my, my sort of refrain in the background, right? The music in the background is we live in a culture that doesn't teach us relationship skills, right? Right. So it gets very tricky to develop those skills anywhere, okay? Because we're busy busy kind of building our resumes and consuming and we're busy doing a whole lot of other things, right, that substitute for good, healthy relationships. So it's hard to do. So I agree with Diane. I'm not that you may have to do that that work, but 
a lot of times the work, you don't even know that the work needs to be done until you get into the relationship. (laughs) So one of the things that I would say, and, you know, you can hear it, you know, even as we're having the conversation, is how easy it is to dichotomize. It's either paying attention to the other person or myself, the other person myself, and to, you know, stop getting into that, you know, kind of no-win situation. Mm -hmm. And I think when you really think about what's best for the relationship, you have a different value system. Now, it doesn't mean that each person is going to be able to see it and tap right into it, but it expands the conversation because there are many things that will grow the relationship that actually each person has to negotiate and sacrifice on, right? Right. So, you know, it may be that, that, that each person isn't getting exactly what they want, and that's okay. Diane, you have a book coming out next month, and it's a memoir about your husband's death. And I wanted to know if you could talk a little bit about, during the process of writing the book, what it was like to reflect on your marriage and what you might have gleaned and things that you might have done differently or were really proud of. Oh, my gosh. We were married for 54 years, and I cannot tell you how much I loved that man. Mm -hmm. And yet there were periods when we would not have any conversation at all. There were periods of silence, there were periods of hostility, there were periods of anger that lasted way too long. And reflecting on those as I wrote the book and reflecting on both the periods of love, because part of how I wrote the book was to write letters to him. Right. And these came to me out of my imagination that he is still sitting here Mm -hmm. and trying to help me understand, help us both understand why we had such difficulties. And Toward the end of his life, as I was sitting in the bed with him at the nursing home, he told me something he revealed to me that I have revealed in the book, which I won't say now, but just stunned me. And... Did it make you angry at him? Did it make you feel any kind of relief to know this? And does it kind of go to that point that we never really know anybody else, even if we're married to them for 54 years? All of the above. And, you know, I, I really did know it. I knew that the anger between us could not have been... Um, because of circumstances. I mean, it it was just too hard. It was as though he should never have been married. He should have lived his life alone. Mm -hmm. And we have two wonderful, beautiful children. 
So I would never, ever give up what we had. But it could have been so much easier. Do you feel like he spoke to you, was honest with you at the end of his life because he didn't, he just felt like he couldn't keep this to himself anymore and it was time, time for the truth to come out? I think um, he wanted me to know that um, his actions had been deliberate and were not only created by our differences in personality. He wanted me to know that his behavior had been an undermining behavior Mm -hmm. toward the marriage. Was the process of writing the book helpful for you in any way and sort of reconciling? Definitely helpful. I happen to have the finest editor in the whole wide world, Bob Gottlieb. Mm -hmm. And through my conversations with him, I probably learned as much as I did about myself as I had over many years of therapy. Mm -hmm. So writing the book in in that sense with Bob was self-revelatory. So basically all couples should have a good therapist and a good editor. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll be set. Exactly right. Exactly Um, right. Both of you in the answers to the question of what relationship mantra do you think is baloney? Both of you talked about, you know, the importance of communication. I wondered if you had a bit of advice about communicating to couples who maybe have a difficulty doing that or struggle with it, which I think is very common. What advice would you give? What is the best way to have a productive conversation with your spouse? I'll jump in here and say that, um, you know, I I think I would start, number one, with, again, echoing something Diane said, which is to to learn how to listen uh, better. (laughs) Because I think that's the first thing that couples, when they are getting into trouble, right, when they're having a hard time communicating, that's the first thing that often goes because, you know, you begin to have build up resentments and frustrations and when that happens you're you get a little pressured and anxious about getting your point across and getting your point seen and so if everybody you know in the relationship can take two steps back and take a deep breath and literally say okay I'm gonna listen and I have people practice active listening right so it's the the idea of you're gonna speak and I'm just gonna listen then I'll share with you what I heard you say and check it out and to be very deliberate about it and very conscious about it, right? So that's one thing that I would say. And, you know, depending on the couple's personality style, you might have somebody that's more or less private, more or less comfortable in sharing, you know, X, Y, or Z. And to really help them think about the idea that sharing things that are vulnerable when it's safe actually strengthens the relationship, right? And and I think people 
don't always grasp that, you know, and that as they start to feel vulnerable, they sort of kick in their stress response system and shut down. Certainly, Amy, I would agree with everything you said. There are two words that I think it would be helpful to leave out of the conversations that a couple might have, and that is those two words are always and never. You always do this or you never do that. The other thing I would say is that they should be statements coming from your heart about yourself rather than to accuse the other person. It's so much easier to hear someone who is saying what she or he feels than to be on the receiving end of an accusation. And if you can manage to frame what it is you want to say without always and never and without accusations, you're halfway there. And if all of that fails, I think writing letters to your partner is a great way to begin a conversation. That's a great suggestion. Yeah, great suggestion. Absolutely. Diane, I just wondered, I have to ask after all of your years of interviewing so many incredible people and presidents, celebrities, and everybody in between authors, is there anybody who gave you or talked about marriage and partnership in a way that really stuck with you that you kind of kept and related to or or looked back on? You may be surprised at my answer. No. (laughs) I think I learned the most from Fred Rogers. Really? Uh I think that the manner in which he talked with children, yeah, uh, the kindness he showed. You know, when I was a homemaker for 14 years before I began my career, I used to save my ironing until <laughs> the end of the day after the kids got home from school and sit them down in front of the television set while I did my ironing Uh just so I could watch Mr. Rogers (laughs) and so they could see it with me. The kindness, the sweetness, the understanding, the strength that that man showed You know, he was on my program, and he was in Pittsburgh playing the piano Okay. in his studio. And I don't know why I asked him this on the air, but I said, Mr. Rogers, do you ever get sad? (laughs) And he said, well, yes, I do. And I said, well, what do you do when you get sad? 
And he said, I play the piano. Mm. And he said, I think I'll be playing the piano a lot today. And I said, well, why are you so sad? And he said, because my stomach hurts. (laughs) And I did not have the courage to ask him why his stomach was Mm -hmm. hurting, but he was dead three months later. Oh, no. But two days after the interview, I got in the mail this tiny little book with a mirror on the front by Fred Rogers, and I opened it. The book is titled, You Are Special. And he had written to me, Diane, you really are special. With love, Fred Rogers. What a sweetheart. Oh, what a sweetheart. <laughs> what, a hu- what a humanitarian <laughs> to teach our children and to teach us as adults what it is to accept another human being. That's a great story, Diane. Just before we end, because we're talking about mantras, we talked about a couple of mantras that we think are baloney. I wonder if you, each of you have one, a mantra about love or, or partnership that you think is, is quite accurate and that you would pass on to someone who is, say, just starting out in a relationship. I would encourage young people before marriage, before settling into partnership to learn to ask each other questions about childhood, about lifestyle preferences, such as what do you like to eat? (laughs) What are your friends like? Who are your friends? What makes you happy? How do you spend money? What is your religious background? How did your family treat you? How do you want to be treated? In other words, don't let sex drive the relationship. Have it be more than that. Have a spiritual connection and let that grow. Amy? So what I would what I would offer people is to practice good conflict. And what I mean by that is to literally begin early on talking about what's upsetting, what makes you angry, mm. and to begin to grow comfortable with putting that out there because if you think about it, being able to manage conflict is about being able to manage difference. And if you are marrying anyone other than yourself, it's all about difference, right? And so the more you can sort of put it out there in whatever form, this is me, this is you, and continue to sort of massage that and get very comfortable with the difference and negotiating around that in the conflict that comes, that, that naturally arises, uh, you know, arises around difference. Sure. Right? The, yeah. your relationship is going to be. 
I want to thank you both so much for being here today. Diane Rehm is the host of The Diane Rehm Show and the author of the upcoming book, On My Own, a memoir about her 54-year marriage. Amy Banks is a psychiatrist at the Jean Baker Miller Training Institute at Wellesley College. Thanks, Diane. Thank you so much. And Amy, it was such a pleasure to be with you. And Diane, it's a pleasure and an honor to join you in this conversation. I appreciate it, and and thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today on The Labor of Love. If you have a domestic quandary and would like to be a guest on our show, or if there's a topic you'd like us to cover in a future episode, please email us at tlolpodcast at gmail.com. I'd like to thank our producer, Tim Einenkel, and our engineer, Jason Gambell. If you enjoyed the episode, please review and subscribe on iTunes, where you'll also find three more podcasts from Real Simple. You can subscribe to The Labor of Love at iTunes.com slash Panoply or at Panoply.fm. I'm Lori Leibovich, and I'll see you next time on The Labor of Love. 